0: New, new, new black, new, new black Wall Street Book Club. Evan Jefferson, brother, much love. Educating, elevating, because in knowledge is the power and will never give it up. Literature is for the masses Where to put your money down a how to watch your assets Yeah, uplifting others is a passion My brother Evan, he will turn it into action New Black Wall Street Book Club You should come read with, with, us. Read with us Yeah, we comprehend and discuss yeah. if we all just come together There's no limit for the us, limit for us. Huh. Here comes your host New Black Wall Street Book Evan, Club. take it away Black Wall Street New Black Wall Street Book Club, <laughs> New Black Wall Street Book
1: Club. Welcome to the New Black Wall Street Book Club, where black folk do read. If you put it in a book, we absolutely will find it. I'm your host, ERGJ, your certified financial educator, CEO of ERGJ Enterprises, ERGJ Black Bazaar, and international best-selling author of the book, The Black Billionaire's Club. It's a study of black wealth. It's a study of the 12 richest black people in the world today and how they built their wealth. And I just believe that if you want to be wealthy, you should study. Wealthy people. We can find that book by going to the website www.TheBlackBillionNetsClub.com www.TheBlackBillionNetsClub.com You'll find that link in the description above or below. In today's episode of the New Black Wall Street Book Club, we continue along in our journey into the book What Makes the Great Great Strategies for Extraordinary Achievement by Mr. Dennis P. Kimbrough. What Makes the Great Great Strategies for Extraordinary Achievement by Mr. Dennis Kimbrough. The four basic fears. Why don't more of us chase our dreams? Why are so many of us reduced to playing out marginal lives of frustration and underachievement? There are lives that fret the future, conceal rare talents, and silence special dreams. Lives that indulge in the cowardice of being too careful. Lives that supposedly find a good alibi far more attractive than actual accomplishment. Why do so few even try to reach their goals? When people are hard pressed, why do excuses suddenly emerge? But after a decade of research and consultation, I've learned to spot the real reason, fear. In all its forms and variations, fear of poverty, fear of death, fear of change and uncertainty, and arguably the most destructive, fear of failure. Fear is the single greatest obstacle to success. For some, fear blocks the path to the winner's circle. For others, it creates total paralysis. No one enslaved by fear is rich either materially or spiritually. It is fear that robs us of happiness and freedom. It is fear that steals our peace of mind. It is fear that causes us to settle for far less than we are capable of. Mankind's greatest weakness consists not in the riches he possesses, but in his failure to grab his share. It is fear that is the root cause of negative emotions, unhappiness, and problems in human relationships. The only positive aspect regarding the emotion of fear is that it is learned, and consequently it can be unlearned. Fear is controlled, not overcome. The expression of fear denies men and women the use of the true power of thought, a power so potent that it can enable anyone to overcome any circumstance or setback. Each of us, to some degree, suffers from one or more of the four basic fears of failure, Some people suffer from all of them. The courageous are not men and women who have not yet to experience the paralyzing emotions of fear. Courageous people act in spite of their fear. When you face your fears and move toward them, they diminish and recede. But when you back away from the circumstance or person that you fear, those strange powers grow until they can actually dominate your life. You must drive out these negative influences before the positive power of courage can overtake your inhibitions. Franklin Roosevelt's famous words, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Are as applicable now as when he offered them during the depression. Probe deeply into your subconscious and be sure that none of these four costly fears resides within your mind. A quick word from our sponsor. Fear of poverty. Nothing brings humanity so much suffering and humiliation as poverty. Believe it or not, poverty is a state of mind that, if left unchecked, can destroy all chances of progress and achievement. The fear of poverty circulates around the idea that too many people believe they have no value to bring to the world. These individuals are too often infected with the negative consciousness of personal need rather than inspired by the positive consciousness of personal value. As a result, there are more people feeling needed than those who feel valuable. This fear paralyzes the gift of imagination, destroys self-reliance, circumvents enthusiasm and ambition, and breeds the habit of negative expectation. Instead of concentrating on why a particular idea might work, the individual discovers all the reasons why a given plan or concept will not work, and he acts accordingly. Some people are so eager to unlock the shackles of lack and limitation that they will acquire wealth in whatever manner they can, through legal or illegal means. Since life is an expensive proposition, you will discover that you and I were born to be rich. Wealth is not limited to money, but embraces value, value, and potential. We sometimes find ourselves stuck in a rut of mediocrity, and we stagnate not because of who we are, our potential, but because of how we are, our behavior. You can be rich without being wealthy. The creative views you and me as pure value or unlimited potential. In other words, you are too valuable to be poor. You are too valuable to be downtrodden. You are too valuable to be lifeless or hopeless. We live in a world that demands value and in turn rewards value with money. Once you realize how valuable you are and how much you have going for you, the smiles will return. The sun will break out of the clouds. Wealth will find its way to your door and you will finally be able to live in the manner that your creator intended. Whatever may be said in praise of poverty, the fact remains that it is hard to live a complete or successful life unless one feels rich, materially or spiritually. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be rich. We're instructed from above that love, the love of money is the root of all evil. But the desire for wealth is really the desire for a richer, fuller, more abundant life. And that desire is praiseworthy. The person who does not desire to live more abundantly is uncommon, and the individual who does not desire enough money to secure his or her needs will not live to his or her full potential. No one can rise to his full potential in talent or soul development unless he possesses a prosperity consciousness. People develop in mind, body, and soul by utilizing rare special gifts. Everything that lives has an inalienable right to all the development it it is capable of attaining. Your right to life means that you possess the right to have free and unrestricted use of all things that may be necessary to fulfill your highest mental, physical, and spiritual development. In other words, your right to be rich. Fear of Death What is the strongest force known to mankind? What is the power that carries humanity from the waters of doom and destruction to the shores of success? What God-given energy rescues the hope field from the hopeless? The up-and-coming from the down-and-out? The strong from the weak? The spiritual power of life itself Every living thing on earth is given a measure of the life-giving force. All that is required of the lower forms of life, the plant and animal kingdoms, is to bring forth fruit according to its kind. Of you and me, however, much more is expected. We are sons and daughters of a creator. Therefore, creation is required. You are to spread seeds not merely of humankind, but of intellect as well. You are to leave the world a better place than you found it, with more joy, more love, more understanding, more harmony, and more life. The real purpose of life is expression the constant urge upward and onward you and i are channels for power there's no limit to the creative life force that flows to us and through us in this plane of existence and others as the following story demonstrates fear not that which lives can never die truth love spirit life there is no other power it happened in the first quarter of a bitterly fought football game. It was homecoming and the stadium was brimming with excitement. Thousands of Ole Miss fans were on their feet screaming as Vanderbilt threatened to score. Vandy's quarterback threw a pass to wide receiver Brad Gaines. In a split second, Chucky Mullins, a free safety, read to play perfectly and tackled Gaines, his helmet crashing into Gaines' back the instant the ball arrived. There was a snap, then a crack. A moment later, Chucky lay sprawled on the field, motionless, fully conscious, his neck broken, his spine shattered. He later said that it wasn't the pain that scared him, it was the total absence of it. On the sidelines, University of Mississippi coach Billy Brewer said a silent prayer. Please God, not Chucky. He's had so much pain in his life. Let it be a dislocated shoulder, a pinched nerve, anything but a broken neck. But looking at Chucky, he knew, in his heart, he knew. It was the first time in all my years of coaching that I didn't go out onto the field. The head coach says softly. I was frozen. I just couldn't. Chucky was taken by helicopter to the Baptist Memorial Hospital in nearby Memphis, where he underwent a three-hour operation in which doctors used wire and a bone graft from his pelvis to fuse four vertebrae in his neck. Carver Phillips, his guardian and closest friends, was heart-sick. He knew that Chucky's life was one endless stream of poverty and pain. When he was orphaned at 12, Chucky phoned Phillips, who was then his basketball coach, and innocently asked if he would take him in. Without batting an eye, Phillips agreed and never looked back. But it was never easy. Phillips' wife, Karen, worked in a sewing machine factory to help make ends meet. Chucky found a job washing cars at a gas station. One morning, the manager had sent him to clean the restroom and didn't think about him again until lunchtime. Then he went around back, fully expecting to find Chucky asleep. Instead he found him standing tiptoe on a chair, polishing the overhead plumbing pipes. Floors, walls, bowls, mirrors, everything gleamed. Son, a person could eat off this floor, the stunned manager said. Why didn't you quit? Quit, Chucky replied. Never. Nobody ever told me to quit. That was Chucky Mullins. Karen and Carver Phillips drove to Memphis. Heavy-hearted, Doctors told the couple that the force with which Chucky hit the Vanderbilt receiver caused at least four vertebrae to fracture explosively. There was a danger his lungs could fail. His condition was critical. Later they rendered the prognosis everyone feared. Chucky was paralyzed. Forever. He received a fractured dislocation of the next fourth and fifth cervical vertebrae. Not only would he never walk again, he'd be a quadriplegic for the rest of his life. A moment after the tragedy, Chucky had trouble breathing and doctors performed an emergency tracheotomy. Tracheotomy, tracheotomy. He remained desperately ill, but not disheartened. Teammates who visited found him unable to speak because of the opening in his throat. Chucky brushed off questions about his health. In typical fashion, he suggested that he was doing fine. It's not what you have lost, he reasoned, but you, what you have left that counts. What interested him was how they were doing. Old Miss officials quickly established a Chucky e. Mullins Trust Fund and invited contributions from students, alumni, and other universities in the Southeast Conference to help meet the staggering medical costs nearly $10,000 a month. They also decided to take up a collection at an upcoming Louisiana State game. If there were doubts about how Mississippians would respond to an appeal for a black student, they were, now, they were not voiced. When a call went out for student volunteers to carry plastic buckets soliciting contributions, they needed 150 were signed up in an hour. Hundreds more had to be thanked and sent away. A record forty two thousand three hundred and fifty-four people turned out for the game, cheering wildly when the old Miss Rebels ran onto the field with Chucky's number thirty eight on the side of every player's helmet. The next day in the bursar's office, the money collected was everywhere. Checks and trays, ones, fives, tens, and twenties stacked up on chairs and spilling out of fried chicken buckets. tally came to $178,168. Chucky, who was permitted to sit up and listen to part of the LSU game on the radio, was stunned to hear the announcers describe the outpouring of affection for him. Soon, his story was being told all over America. Donations arrived from every state in the nation. By mid-November, the total climbed to $350,000, Later, as the university prepared to elect its Colonel Rebel, seven standout students, six white, withdrew their candidacies. It is our hope, they wrote in a joint letter to the dean, that all students will show their support by voting for Chucky. Three months later, Chucky was moved to the Spain Rehabilitation Center in Birmingham, Alabama. By July, recurrent bladder infection and related problems required surgery. Still, if there were any dark moments, he kept them to himself. Against all odds. Chucky returned to classes in January 1991. Some said that it, that some said that was his greatest achievement, but he had even more breathing he had even more breathtaking goal. Hope to get up out of this chair, he told a reporter. I know what the doctors say, but I will never quit trying on Wednesday, May 1st of the same year as he was pre- preparing for class, Chucky suddenly stopped breathing. a blood clot shut down his lungs. A nurse attending him immediately began artificial Respiration. And he was rushed to the hospital. The courageous young man with a big, with a heart as big as the world, and who was so easy to love, never regained consciousness and died five days later. The rebel team was present when Chucky was laid to rest beside his mother in Russellville, Alabama. The entire Southeast region was caught up in the moment. Everything ground to a halt. One by one, the old Miss players tried to say goodbye, but many could not. Teammate Chris Mitchell summed up everyone's feelings. God brought Chucky into our lives and he hasn't taken him away. Some people, like Chucky, are bigger than death. They never die. The special man goes to his grave with a shout. It is startling to discover how many people acquiesce to the idea of death and begin to make all sorts of preparations for death, even at a time when they should be enjoying life or enjoying the fullness of life. Life is not simply a journey between two points in a, on an endless highway, life is eternal and we are alive in eternity now. Death has no place in the fullness of life, and the individual who holds to the, ide- to the life idea cannot die. What we think of as death is simply the movement of the soul experience of life from one vessel of experience to another. into another vessel. It may be difficult for most people to interpret death as being anything but an unavoidable tragedy, but this limited view can be broadened by understanding the great plan of the universe. You and I are perfect now, created perfectly, one with our creator. The will of God is the ceaseless longing of the spirit in you to completely fulfill your potential. It is God seeking to express himself as you, as radiant health, as eternal youth, as freedom from limitation. It is only the personality, the human ego that is born and dies and that seeks to sh- and strives to keep us bound to beliefs and opinions of death. It is only when we rise up in the realization of our divine immortality and omnipotence that we can free ourselves from the terrible pains of the fear of death. Turn away from the appearance of death. Do not search for the living among the dead. Seek understanding and truth. Know that truth is not something you learn or accumulate, but something you unfold within yourself. The story is told of the old sage sitting behind a tree in Egypt. The spirit of the plague went by. "'Whither goest thou?' the wise man asked. "'I go to Cairo, where I shall slay 100 Egyptians,' was the reply. Three months later, the spirit of the plague again passed the old sage on his journey. "'You said you would slay 100 in Cairo, but travelers tell me you slew 10,000,' said the wise man in disbelief, to which the spirit of the plague replied, I "'Slew but 100. Fear slew the rest.'" As one learns to be at home in the spiritual and mental world, all of his or her fears lessen, and with the easing of fear comes an easing of the effects of fear. It was September 1994, and now the battle between nearly, was, seemed nearly over. Jean-Jean Young, lifelong activist and champion of education, was about to end her flight with cancer, fight with cancer, and everyone knew it. During a book signing featuring her husband's bestseller, a well-wisher approached Andrew Young and inquired about his wife. Without fear and trepidation, the former mayor said, she's ready, and then added, I think we're all ready. None of us have ever been promised a life free of pain or disappointment. Rather, the most any of us have been promised is that we need not be alone in our pain and that we can draw upon a source outside ourselves for strength and courage. Our creator does not cause our suffering, but rather helps us by inspiring others to help. Little minds are tamed and subdued by misfortune. Great minds... Rise above it. The Lord is your light and your salvation. Whom shall you fear? Fear of change and uncertainty. Many would-be achievers are stymied by the prospect of foregoing a steady paycheck or facing the unknown. Most simply cannot withstand the risk. But to be creative, to venture forward, to succeed, one must be willing to lose what one has, to embrace uncertainty, to replace security with insecurity, to find true happiness, to be fulfilled, to be at peace with yourself and others, you must learn to take risks. As the Air Atlanta story suggests, there are instances when circumstances necessitate a gamble or a risk. Risk of social displeasure. Risk of reputations. Even risk of fortune. To paraphrase Michael Hollis's discourse as a, he pondered his startup, I knew it was a risky proposition, but it was a move that I had to take. During the research for this book, I encountered instances when people have been willing to engage in and have been sought out, the calculated risk. Men and women who have forsaken cussy jobs, people who packed up their belongings and moved beyond the hidden boundaries, mortgaged their homes, and even borrowed money from family and friends to take their shot at a new life. For example, Thomas Burrell put every penny into an untried business plan to launch Burrell Advertising, America's top black advertising firm. Lee Dunham quit his job as a New York cop and gambled $31,000 his entire savings to market McDonald's hamburgers in the inner city. J. Bruce Llewellyn left one high-level position after another and leveraged everything he owned just for the opportunity to resurrect a dying urban food chain that could eventually springboard him to greater heights. What is success? I asked Bill White, baseball's National League president. Success, he replied is the ability to close the door on your past, regardless of your failures, and move forward. In other words, if you're not on the way, you're in the way. So it's best that you get out of the way. Percy Sutton left politics, including a chance to become New York City's first black mayor, to acquire a string of radio stations located in marginal markets. Henry Parks sold his house and a life insurance policy to raise the necessary capital to market his sausage to a predominantly white clientele. Don't tell me about the odds, Park said emphatically. Hell, you make the odds. John H. Johnson pawned his mother's furniture to start Negro Digest, a small black magazine with even smaller readership. Most people don't really, really believe in success, Johnson quips. They feel ho- helpless before they even begin. Whitey's not keeping blacks down. Black America has the power to make it in this society, and so we can't blame the system for everything. Fear gets in the way. Wayne Dyer, author of the bestseller, Your Erroneous Zones, discusses the days when we succumb to power of fear because we fail to live in the present moment. We feel guilty about something that happened yesterday, or we're afraid to face something that might happen tomorrow, and we fail to reach total fulfillment today. Fear can keep us from enjoying today. Wilma Rudolph, personified elegance and grace on the track, off the track, The sprinter who won three gold medals at the 1960 Olympic Games symbolized determination. Wilma had a great outlook on life, said Ed Temple, who coached Rudolph and several other greats at Tennessee State University. She could relate to anybody. She would say you'll you'll never know what you can accomplish until you get up and try. The path to success lies within the virtue of courage, taking action, and possessing the flexibility to change until you have reached your objective. C.S. Lewis, the English critic and novelist, wrote, Courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point. In our modern world, the debate over a common sense of, of morality, we're faced with questions of right and wrong every day. It's not unusual to feel our virtues tested. Mostly they're small things, but even with a firm system of beliefs, choices can be difficult. It has been that said that courage is faith put into action. When a person has faith in himself, his value and the worth of the goal being pursued, sometimes the simplest of acts can be most courageous of acts. Courage is acting on what you are. Fear of failure. The fear of failure is the major cause of stress and negativity. Realize there is no such thing as failure. Failure is not a single, earth-shaking event. We do not fail overnight. Failure is the inevitable result of an accumulation of poor thinking and poor choices. Simply put, failure is nothing more than a few errors in judgment, repeated, every day. Keep this in mind and you will achieve all that you can conceive in your mind. You never fail. You simply produce results. Most of us have been programmed to fear this thing we call failure, yet all of us can think of times when we wanted one thing but received another. We have all flunked a test, stumbled through a series of relationships, watched a well thought out business plan go awry. High achieving men and women aren't people who do not fail. They're individuals who know that if they try something and it doesn't give them what they want, they simply dismiss it as a learning experience. They use what they have learned and try something else. What is the one asset, the one benefit, you have today over yesterday? The answer, of course, is experience. Those who fear failure compose a mental picture of what might not work or what may go wrong. As a result, this act alone keeps them from taking the very action that could secure their desires. Many men and women have conquered tough challenges, have fought their way through anguish and defeat, to great personal triumph. Many have achieved outstanding success in the arts, literature, science, and medicine, in almost every field of human endeavor. In spite of their fears, they seek the rocky and thorny path. Every hazard is inspiring to them. Every problem is a new adventure. No one can be a failure who is upright and true. No right cause is a failure. There is but one failure, and that is not to be the best that is in us. But what is failure? What must a person do or not do in order to fail or to be designated as a failure? Maya Angelou grew up in staggering poverty in a small southern town. When she was seven years old, she and her older brother moved to St. Louis, Missouri to live with their divorced mother. A few months after their arrival, Maya was raped by her mother's boyfriend. The crime was soon discovered. The offender was brought to trial and Maya was forced to testify. Several days later, her assailant was found beaten to death. Shocked by the seeming connection between her testimony and the trial and the death of the accused, Maya vowed to never speak in public again. She kept this dark corner of her life close to her heart for more than 30 years until she wrote her encouraging and metaphysical autobiography, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, published in 1970. The book sold several thousand copies and won a handful of literary awards, but was soon forgotten except by a small number of connoisseurs of creative writing. From a publisher's point of view, the book experienced only modest success, and critics were less than enthusiastic. At that critical moment in her life, how would you measure Maya's success? Failure does not come to a person because he or she is not recognized by the multitudes during his or her crucial moments. Success or failure has nothing to do with the opinions of others. It is only concerned with our opinions of ourselves and what we are doing. When you rely on the opinions of others, the roadblocks and rejections obscure the victories. For the next 22 years, Meyer poured herself into a number of artistic activities, mostly poetry and theater, and today, Thanks in part to that memorable moment during the inauguration of President Bill Clinton when Maya Angelou recited the poem she had written for the occasion on the Pulse of the Morning, sales of her autobiography are into the millions and it has become a literary classic. Though it took more than two decades, I know why the Caged Bird Sings lives in print, probably forever. And with it, Maya Angelou moves into the company of the literary immor- immortals. Throughout his schooling, Colin Powell failed many times at New York City's college, but his name will forever be linked with courage and noble character. Luther Vandross was mocked and ridiculed for eight straight nights when he participated in the Apollo Theater's amateur contest. His audience threw objects and shouted obscenities as promoters dragged him off stage, yet now no one would think of naming anyone else if asked who was the greatest of the soulful balladeers. Lainey Guineer did not win her cause to serve her country, but she did achieve fame as an orator and apostle of minority and women's rights. Don't, po- don't poison your future with the pain of the past. Refuse to be intimidated by people of s- or circumstances. Failure becomes the final test of persistence. It either crushes life or solidifies it. The wounded oyster mends its shells with pearl. Failure is, in a sense, says William Keats a 19th century essayist, the highway to success. Inasmuch as every discovery of what is false leads us to seek earnestly after what is true, and every fresh experience points out some form of error which we shall afterward carefully avoid. Are you afraid of failure? Well, how do you feel about learning? You can learn from every human experience. The critical success question that eliminates all failure is, what can I do better next time? If you address this question, you ensure that you will redouble your efforts and try Try, try again, until you reach your objective. I know firsthand about the gifts that can only come by overcoming the fear of failure. After laboring diligently for seven years on what was to become Think and Grow Rich, a black choice, and with no end in sight, I spent a day with Arthur G. Gaston, the Dean of Black Entrepreneurs. As a 22-year-old, Gaston picked hundreds of pounds of cotton for pennies a day. But as the decade of the 1990s takes shape, this soft-spoken black man with an 8th grade at education is now board chairman and president of at least 10 businesses worth more than $50 million. I sat in his office firing questions at point-blank range on wealth, achievement, and success. As I concluded the interview, my emotions suddenly became too much to bear. The purpose of my research was to uncover a formula for wealth and achievement that anyone could use. But ironically, I found myself saddled with debt, called crazy by family and friends, and I could see no way out. With tears in my eyes, I sat before this giant of a man with thoughts of ending this endless search. I thought about my inability to support my family without a dime to my name. Overcome with guilt. I struggled with my own self-worth. My spirit was weakened. I was reduced to tears and I didn't care. I had grown tired. I grew tired of the constant struggle. I was sick and tired of being broke. I grew tired of ducking and dodging creditors. I grew tired of explaining to my family why I, was, why I wasn't quite making it. I grew tired of the endless streams of rejection from employers and publishers that never seemed to stop, but mostly, I just grew tired. And this was the day, the hour, the minute, the moment that I said to hell with it. And who knows, I might not have written this book if Dr. Gasson hadn't shared his thoughts of inspiration. As he lit his pipe, he sensed my uneasiness. He looked me in the eye and said, don't tell me it's too hard. Great men and women must be tested in a laboratory of adversity. Fear not, young man. Continue to move forward. Greatness takes time. What you can do, you ought to do. But if you are satisfied just to get by, then step aside for the man or woman who isn't. You must realize that all external events lack any emotional component in their makeup. All external events are inherently neutral until you mentally respond and assign an emotional context to it. Nearly all fears are imaginary. They are a product of your mind and do not exist in reality. Unfortunately, you are trampled by forces that you create yourself. The key to eliminating unnecessary fear from your life is to create a fold to create and hold firmly to positive images. Your fear is real only to the extent that you allow your mind to create it and then allow your body to fill it. Throughout the Bible, again and again, the root of inspiration and attainment is stress Prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open t- up if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there will be, shall be, not be room enough to receive it. Remember, the creator never consults your past to determine your future. This It's the New Black Wall Street Book Club, where black folk do read. If you put in a book, we absolutely will find it. I'm your host, ERGJ, your certified financial educator, and we invite you to join the Black Billionaires Club. Get connected with brothers and sisters who are serious about winning with money, serious about success, and super serious about helping you to accomplish your goals and to build your dreams. Check out the website at www.TheBlackBillionetsClub.com www.TheBlackBillionetsClub.com You can find that link in the description above or below. Make a decision to change the rest of your life. We'd ask that you would subscribe and support this podcast with a small monthly donation to help us sustain future episodes, to improve financial literacy within our community, and ultimately to help us to build the School of Wealth, to build an institution that will teach the next generation about money, and your small monthly contribution can make all the difference. Well, say, well, we want to say thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the New Black Wall Street Book Club. And we want you to remember this, that it takes a village, and it starts with us. Let's build as we climb together. We all we got, people, and thank God that that's more than enough. Until next episode, you know what time it is. Mr. DJ,
0: hit the music. New, new, new black, new. It's the New Black Wall Street Book Club. With your host, Evan Jefferson. Jefferson. It's time for us to go. Now, you ain't got a little computer. But we encourage you to get out there and learn and apply all the things you learn at the New Black Wall Street book club book club (laughs) yeah the new black wall street the new black